me. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. All right, that's what's up. So it is December 16th, 2020. My gosh, I almost forgot what day it was. It's a Wednesday because my daughter doesn't have school today. I knew that. knew it was a Wednesday. I just forgot the date. So it's been a pretty interesting day um, watching my fires that I went and set in D.C. uh, burn. They're literally burning. So I'll walk you through to tell you how it is. Uh, we did mention I did mention this to you last month. Uh, I think maybe we should walk through it. I'm going to start by playing this incredible Senate hearing that's happening right now. Um, and to quote Steve Urkel, did I do that? Uh, so it's it's pretty awesome. You see Chris Krebs kind of sweating here, but. Bottom line is they got caught. They super got caught. Take a listen to this. This is Chris Krebs, and they're talking about, get this, EAC and HAVA Act discrepancies. And I'll elaborate as we listen to the hearing, if it wants to play. Oh, look, that's what a face when you're busted looks like. Here's the troubling thing is one of the reasons that they said that we couldn't get transparency on this machine is because they're proprietary. proprietary. The information, the, the coding was proprietary. But we're talking about the countings of, of votes for the Office of President of the United States, and they're not going to let us see the code for how they actually coded the votes? you got to pick one. It's either open source, and we exactly know the way that, that these machines are counting the votes, yes. or you have to go back to a verifiable system to make sure that the results that are being reported are the results that we get from actual voters, because that's that is where democracy breaks down. I think they heard that my 19th really the, of the November fear that we 2019 have of losing democracy call. is when it's not the people's votes that are being counted, but fraud that's being counted. And we can't just pretend that the emperor has any clothes when when if he doesn't. We can't pretend that we have a clean election when there's evidence to the contrary. And the way that we get that is through transparency. And we were denied that in Nevada at every single turn. We, we had a, a, a clerk who, uh, a, a registrar of voters who literally dodged our subpoenas. We had the holiday weekend over Thanksgiving in order to serve subpoenas. They locked the doors of the offices. He locked himself in his house. He refused to accept a, a, a subpoena. That same registrar of voters we have a whistleblower that says he was wearing a Biden-Harris pin to inspect voter sites. Yes, yes. This isn't something where we're trying to attack officials. We're trying to say that we have to make sure that it's nonpartisan, that we have to make sure that there's transparency. And you can't deny transparency at every turn, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Krebs, real quick, mindful that, again, all this testimony is under oath. Uh, so what you heard from Mr. Bernal is testimony under oath. Does that trouble you? And in, in, in your assessment, this is the most secure election. Uh, again, I, I'm all for paper backups. I'm, I'm all for, you know, those controls. I think, you know, if used, it works. You know, we, we, have, an ab, we have a system of advocacy. Uh, 
in terms of a legal system. And you, you advocate for one side, it's 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 a Krebs caught caught. The Democrats got it's caught. It's a system, but both sides have to have information. Does that trouble you in terms of lack of transparency that Mr. Benal is testifying to under oath? I think a couple things here. One is that in Commissioner Palmer's opening statement, he talked about the certification process, the voluntary voting systems uh-huh. guides, the certifications that happen at the state level, the logic and accuracy testing of these machines, the parallel testing that happens the day of or during the election process, uh-huh. the sampling uh, and forensic audits. We saw Georgia do that with a number of their machines to ensure that the hashes match. Super easy to audit yourself. Um, I do think that that, yes, we need to make sure that working with these vendors that we have the appropriate insight and transparency into the process. Liar, Certainly, liar, pants I on would, fire. You know, I think we need to have a conversation on what the appropriate auditing process looks like. I have seen some auditing that is not necessarily up to snuff. So we need to explore that a little bit more fully. But again, you know, if you've got, you're, we're talking about paper backups, but we're also talking about paper ballots. But, but again, o- only if they have, he just said they didn't have access to, to the ballots. They, again, I, well, I'm, I'm not, so, that's, so, I mean, again, that. all I'm asking, d- does that trouble you that there wasn't that kind of a trans- transparency or are you challenging his testimony? Oh, hold on. Not. Let me show I, you I, something. Okay, so, have, that, so again, the, the, this system is, we only have confidence if, in it if it's completely transparent and somebody who's challenging results has access to the information. The paper ballot backup can have their forensic experts say, look at the computer systems. And that, that wasn't afforded. I'm just asking, does that concern you? I think that there are multiple controls in place throughout the system. It, you know, if there is a legal mechanism at the back end that allows for independent third party uh, okay. auditing. It, I, but that's the problem. The legal system. All right, we're going to pause them for a second the so you can watch this. Okay, you can talk about all these controls up front, but then. Give me a sec. I want to see if you people can actually see this. Can you guys see the document? Um, all right. Let's see if that is available. All right. So this is um, an affidavit that caused a little bit of a problem. I'm going to walk you guys through it because I there's a lot of people uh, that listen to me uh, radio only. So on or about October 2017, I had reached out to U.S. Senate Majority Leader with an affidavit claiming that our elections in 2017 may be null and void due to lack of EAC certifications. In fact, Senator Wyden sent a letter to Jack Cobb on the 31st of October 2017, advising, discreetly pointing out the importance of being certified ES, of being certified. And EAC had issued a certificate. Hold on. Let's see. To Pro VNV that expired on February 24, 2017. No other certification has been located. So that means this company was certified by, so this is one of the two companies, right? This company, Pro VNV, was certified by the EAC to um, inspect equipment, not the software. There's two parts. This is the problem. Using things synonymously. Remember how they used to, how they did it with President Trump absentee ballot, mail-in ballot? Well, here we have um, EAC certification for software, EAC certification for hardware. I'll tell you why. Because this was the trap. 
This was how they were going to wrap President Trump up in a bow and tell him that he stole the elections colluding with the Russians in any case. He was going to overcome this fuckery that we are seeing. So here's where we move along. So as you could see, up until February 24th, 2017, right, all election equipment, not software, equipment was certified. After that, there's no certificate, okay? There's no certificate. It says set forth by NIST handbooks accreditation. So let me explain to you how this goes. There was an act that Congress passed. It wasn't an EO. There was an act. And this act claims that in order to have safe and fair elections, there's got to be some rules. And the one thing we have to do is check the software. The other thing we have to do is check the hardware. Now, the hardware, and this isn't a congressional act. This isn't something that you can just, oh, yeah, kind of. it's a suggestion. It's not like a stop sign on a rural road where you decide if you're going to pick. So this amazing affidavit with this person that really tried to make it sound, because from what I know, this person's a scientist and they suck at writing, says Section 231B, and this is, I think, copy-paste straight from the EAC, of the Help America Vote Act of 2002, it requires that the EAC provide for the accreditation and revocation of accreditation of independent non-federal laboratories qualified to test voting systems to federal standards. Generally, the EAC considers for accreditation those laboratories evaluated and recommended by the National Institute of Standards of Technology, NIST, pursuant to HAVA Section 231B1. However, consistent with HAVA Section 231B2B, the commission may also vote to accredit laboratories outside of those recommended by NIST upon publication of an explanation of the reason for any such accreditation. Well, let me just tell you something. On the EAC website, which is the Election Assistance Commission, right? Okay. Which, by the way, guess who runs that? Oh, that's right. Christy McCormick. She should be fired. She was appointed by Obama in 2015, 2016. Then the IG of that, Patricia, also appointed by Obama as he was leaving the White House. Pretty interesting. Now, the NIST. Let me not get started on them. I could get ISO cert from the NIST for like $50 under the table. They're so corrupt. It's, it's just stupid. So anyway, here it is. Voting system testing. Pro VNV got a NIST certification. Look at the date. On the 26th of March, 2020, it expires in a year. Here's another discrepancy. Huh. So voting system testing laboratories uh, get, you know, two-year certifications. That tells me that between 2017 and 2020, there was no certification, which means that the elections of 2017, 2018, which means Pelosi, Schiff, and all these other clowns that were elected, are no not valid. <laughs> We've been running with an invalid Congress, technically. So VSCLs are very important because equipment vulnerabilities allow for deployment of algorithms and script to intercept, alter, and adjust voting tallies. There are only two accredited VSTLs 
according to the EAC. In order to meet its statutory requirements under HAVA, the EAC developed the EAC's voting system testing accreditation program, blah, 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 blah. We don't need to go into that. And then here's this document that's missing. But guess who had it? That's right. So this says how each state has decided to abide by all these rules. Okay? So they've all agreed that they're going to be making sure and doing their due diligence to make sure that the EAC has accredited the VSTLs to check equipment. Well, Pro-VNV and SLI Gaming both lack evidence of EAC accreditation as per voting system testing and certificate manuals. So here's the weird one. In, in fact, ProVNV is owned and operated by Jack Cobb. Real name is Ryan Jackson Cobb. The company ProVNV was founded and run by Jack Cobb, who formerly worked under the entity of Wild Laboratories, which is an aerospace defense contracting entity. The address information on the EAC and NIST and other entities for ProVNV are different than what's on the ProVNV website. The EAC and NIST, ISO CERT issuers, all have other addresses. So this this is the website of the EAC telling you that they're certified, but there, there's no certification on file. Here is the ProVNV website. Okay, so they're securing election, but their freaking site doesn't even have an SSL cert. Look at that. Their address is completely different from that address. Just pointing some stuff out. Now, VSTLs are the most important component of the election machines as they examine the use of COTS, commercial off-the-shelf components. So I talk about while, and then, I mean, the person in the affidavit talks about while, and then COTS are preferred by many because they have been tried and tested in the open market and are most economic and readily available. They're cheaper. That's why people use them. All right. So I put down that the proprietary voting system software is done and created with cost efficiency in mind and therefore relies on third-party software that's available and housed on the hardware. This is a vulnerability. Exporting system reporting using software like Crystal Reports or PDF software allows for vulnerabilities with their constant updates. That's just a, you know, extra added, hey, this is where we get in and there could be problem. COTS origin is important in the U.S. Intelligence Community Report 2018 actually stressed that. The Trump administration made it clear that there's an abscess uh, absence of a major U.S. alternative to foreign suppliers networking equipment. Now, just so you guys know, did you know that Smartmatic machines were produced in China? Right. And then because Australia, not Australia, the Philippines, because they got screwed over with uh, fake elections, you know, <laughs> fraudulent elections. Um Smartmatic was like, okay, fine. We'll just move it to Taiwan because <laughs> it's like, because China's not there either. So I'm sorry. Sarcasm. So anyway, so the Trump administration made it clear that there's an absence of U.S. alternative to foreign suppliers for networking equipment. This highlights the growing dominance of Chinese manufacturers like Huawei that are the world's largest supplier of telecom and other equipment that endangers national security. China is not the only nation involved in COTS. Provided to election machines or networking, but so is Germany via Laos, founded Chinese link cloud in service that works with CIDL named Akamai Technologies that have offices in China and are linked to the server that Dominion Software uses. Here's their, you know, addresses. Just in case anybody wants to know, here's their Asian presence. Just thought I'd point that out. 
And so we go talking about level L3 level communications and how George Soros is involved, showing how our government servers are on these Akamai technology uh, you know, servers, which is actually Unicom. We see Telianet, Telianet, Telianet. This is where our servers go. They go to Germany and the Chinese have access to them. So all through this, you can see here, Michigan.gov. Where does it go? Akamai, 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 Akamai. Look it up. They bought Unicom, which was one of the biggest telecoms of China in 2018. When you buy something out, you incorporate it. Not only that, they have brick-and-mortar institutions in China, which means someone's logging on to the main server of the company, which means they have access to everything, every single thing. So in this uh, you know, report, not only does it address the vulnerabilities for foreign access, but this affidavit, but it also shows that, you know, you heard him talk about the verification of the vote that we don't understand. Well, here is where is this problem, this trap door where the pre-tallied votes go, where they tell you that they cleanse them so you can have anonymity and then they park the votes and then they report them. This is the most atrocious thing ever. This is where they can they can create whatever result they want. Because Seidel is supposed to prove that A, B, and C are indeed X, Y, and Z that comes out on the other end of the doors from here, encryption by Dominion, to here. They're supposed to prove that A, B, C is X, Y, Z. Uh, that's super easy. Because if I'm the one doing all the fiddling, I can make it prove itself. So you can't do anything in regards to that. This is the math. So here we are pushing that over. Showing the discrepancies with the algorithms. I'm just scrolling through for those listening. Um, now, John Owen Brennan, James Jim Clapper were responsible for the ushering of intelligence surrounding the elections in blank. Under the guise of crisis support, the U.S. federal taxpayers funded, funded the deployment of election software and machines in blank, signing on with CIDL. <clears throat> And you'll see here, fact sheet, U.S. crisis support package for the Ukraine. President Obama and Vice President Biden have made U.S. support for Ukraine an urgent priority as the Ukrainian government works to establish security, stability, and pursue democratic elections and constitutional reform. So to support Ukraine today, we're announcing a package of assistance totaling $50 million to help Ukraine pursue political and economic reform and strengthen the partnership. So... That money went to Seidel getting an office in Ukraine. That's where we sent, you know, 1,200 temporary employees and 250 permanent ones. Well, let me tell you about this scenario. So right before the blank, take a wild guess, elections, it was alleged that Cyberbaker, a pro-Russia group, infiltrated redacted country, central election computers, and deleted key files. These actions supposedly rendered the vote tallying system inoperable. <laughs> you mean the algorithm broke? Kind of like in 2016. In fact, the key files were commitment keys to allow Seidel to tally the votes rather than the election machines. The group had disclosed emails and other documents proving that their election was rigged and they tried to avoid a rigged election. A fixed election. The elections were held on May 25th, 2014, but in the early a.m. hours, deja vu anyone, the election results were blocked 
and the final tally was delayed, flipping the election in favor of redacted. The claim was that there was a DDoS attack by Russians. <laughs> Deja vu, anyone? When in actual fact, it was mitigation of the algorithm to inject block votes, as we observed was done for Joe Biden, because the keys were unable to deploy. In the case of redacted, the trapdoor key was altered slash deleted, rendered ineffective. In the case of U.S. election, representatives of Dominion, ESS, Smartmatic, Hardin, and Civic would have to manually deploy them if the entry points into the systems seem to have failed. The vote tallying of all states nationwide stalled and hung for days, as in the case of Alaska that has about 300,000 registered voters but was stuck at 56% reporting for almost a week. This hanging indicates a failed deployment of the scripts to block allocate remotely from one location as observed in redacted country on May 26, 2014. This would justify the presence of the election machine software representative making physical appearances in the states where the election results are currently being contested. A Dominion executive appeared at the polling center in Detroit after midnight. Considering that the hardware of the machines has not been examined in Michigan since 2017 by Pro V&V, according to Michigan's own reporting, cuts are an avenue that hackers and bad actors seek to penetrate in order to control operations. Their software updates are the reason vulnerabilities to foreign interference in all operations exist. The importance of VSDLs is underrated to protect us from foreign interference by the way of open access via COT software. Keep going, keep going. So in addition, if the entities had NIST certificates, they are not sufficing according to HAVA Act 2002, as the role of NIST is clear. Curiously, both companies, Pro VNV and SLI Gaming, Gaming received NIST certification outside of the 24-month scope. Wait, I'm going to blow your mind now on Pennsylvania, too. So Pro VNV received a NIST certification on the 26th of March, 2020, for one year. Normally, the NIST certification is good for two years to align with that of EAC certification that's good for two years. The last Pro VNV EAC certification, item 8, of this declaration expired February 2017, which means the IVV conducted by Michigan claiming that they were accredited is false. The significance of VSDLs being accredited and examining hardware is key. Stuff I have to keep. I the 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 it's it's a little bit onerous, but it has to be said. You know, look, these are all things that are open to us, and we know the software. This is how you enter. Well, how's this one? SLI Gaming is the other VSDL accredited by the EAC, but there is no record of their accreditation. In fact, SLI, get this, was NIST ISO certified 27 days before the election, which means that the Pennsylvania IVV was conducted without NIST cert for SLI being valid. Not only that, their certificate, look at this, is only valid for 90 days. What is going on here? Kind of smells like something's fixed here, don't you think? In fact, the SLI was NISTISO certified for less than 90 days. I can personally attest that high-level officials of the Obama-Biden administration and large pi- private contracting firms met with a software company called GEMS, which is ultimately the software all election machines run, now running under the flag of Dominion. 
GEMS was manifested from SOE software purchased by CIDL developers and U.S. federally funded persons to develop it. So it can keep on going. So I thought I would just give you a heads up of what you're watching right now because this is pretty lit. So this is super lit. This is like, this is the proof in the pudding. This is where you set fires to everything. Oh, look at that. 3DC LLC. Hmm. It's interesting. Akamai. Akamai Technologies has locations around the world. Akamai has locations in China. Akamai has locations in Iran. Akamai merged with Unicom, Chinese Telecom in 2018. Akamai housed all .gov information in Germany via Tulia AB. In my professional opinion, this affidavit presents unambiguous evidence that there was foreign interference, complicit behavior by the previous administration from 1999 up until today to hinder the voice of the people and U.S. persons knowingly and willingly colluding with foreign powers to steer our 2020 elections that can be named in a classified setting. So this looks, that's her name, Layfield and Christy McCormick. These are the people that should go. These are, oh, these are the people that should go. And this is blank. My opinion and from the data and events I have observed that blank, 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 with the assistance of ShadowNet under the guise of L3 Communications, which is MPRI. This is also confirmed by USArmy.mil making the statement that ShadowNet has been deployed to 30 states, which all happen to be using Dominion machines. So weird. So weird. So weird. And look at that. Look at these voters. Ding. So this was done in November. So, Yeah. So now we're going to go back to the hearing now that you got some context of how much trouble they're in because law is the law and they haven't upheld it and they weren't, they weren't doing their job. They, Krebs had one job. His job was to make sure that everything was safe, that our software and then our hardware were safe. You know, forget the software. We already know they're diddling with the software. But what about the hardware? A, a kid these days can access an election machine if they know what it is. Remember the tweet I sent out to Governor Kemp? And I said, hey, yo, I see a Kyocera on your network. I can hack it and make it print. You're a traitor. But I won't because it's illegal. How? Because if I know the software of that printer and I can find a vulnerability, I can enter the network through those capabilities. That's all I'm going to say. So... This is how they did it. Let's continue with their hearing talking about the EAC and the discrepancies on certifications. Concerns I had when we had a Supreme Court that decided to legislate from the bench. And, and Mr. Chairman, if I may say just a word, and that is, uh, I think what Senator Portman, you have identified is a best practice. And it certainly qualifies as one of the things that perhaps a commission, if one is founded, can say, we have canvassed the entire 50 states and here are the best practices. The recommendations could be based on experience as opposed to simply theoretical constructs. Let's just see what has worked in the various states with reputations for honesty and integrity. That would be the objective. Thank you, Mr. Darn. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for your indulgence. Uh, thank you very much, Senator Portman. Uh, now, on behalf of the chairman, I'm going to recognize uh, myself. So thanks to the witnesses for being here. I just want to say how important it is that we're having today's hearing. Let me just give you an example why. Yesterday, I was talking, I'm from the state of Missouri. Yesterday, I was talking with 
some of the constituents back at home, group of about 30 people, every single one of them, every one of them told me that they felt they had been disenfranchised, that their votes didn't matter, that the election had been rigged. These are normal, reasonable people. These are not crazy people. These are reasonable people and who, by the way, have been involved in politics. They've won. They've lost. They've seen it all. These are normal folks living normal lives who firmly believe that they have been disenfranchised. And to listen to the mainstream press and quite a few voices in this building tell them after four years of nonstop Russia hoax, it was a hoax. It was based on, the whole Russian nonsense was based on, we now know, lies from a Russian spy. The Steele dossier was based on a Russian spy. After four years of that, being told that this, that the last election was fake and that Donald Trump wasn't really elected and that Russia intervened, after four years of that, now these same people are told, you just sit down and shut up. If you have any concerns about election integrity, you're a nutcase. You should shut up. Well, I tell you what, 74 million Americans are not going to shut up and telling them that their views don't matter and that their concerns don't matter and they should just be quiet is not a recipe for success in this country. It's not a recipe for the unity that I hear now the other side is suddenly so interested in after years, years of trying to delegitimize President Donald Trump. So suffice it to say, I'm not too keen on lectures about how Missourians and others who voted for President Trump and now have some concerns about fraud, about integrity, about compliance with the law should just be quiet and that they are somehow not patriotic if they raise these questions. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Let me talk about the First Amendment. Judge Starr, I want to begin with you because I know that you have spent much of your life as a litigator defending the First Amendment. Have you ever seen anything like we saw in the closing days of the election when you had the biggest corporations in the history of this country the most powerful corporations in the world, Facebook, Twitter, working with the Democrat campaign to suppress legitimate reporting on Hunter Biden, who we now know is under federal investigation for criminal wire fraud, tax evasion, other things. Have you ever seen anything in your career like that, Judge Starr, where we have these giant corporate conglomerates censoring and suppressing news directly bearing on an election weeks beforehand and doing it apparently in conjunction with one of the major political parties. Have you ever seen anything like that? You know, I think we live in a new uh, age and we need to go back to great lessons from constitutional law, as you well know, Senator Hawley, uh, and Justice uh, William uh, Brennan, uh, an icon of the Warren Court, saying that our democracy is based upon robust and uninhibited debate. And Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes saying, let's test things in the marketplace of ideas. You can't test places, uh, ideas and theories unless you allow the marketplace of information communication to flourish. Well said. I agree with that 100 percent. And, you know, it, it's an extraordinary thing not to be able to get. I've had Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg under oath. We've asked them, did you coordinate with the Democrat campaign? How was it that that within minutes of this story breaking that both of those major corporate giants decided that they would suppress this story and exactly what the Biden campaign wanted them to do. They won't answer questions. I've asked the FEC to determine whether or not this was an illegal campaign contribution 
on the part of these corporate entities. And I, I can't, I just can't fathom why anybody who cares about free speech in this country would be fine with these mega corporations controlling what people can and cannot say and trying to intervene in a presidential election. Let me ask you, uh, Judge Starr, about, uh, about something else. Uh, let's talk a little bit about mail-in balloting. Uh, in your written testimony, you discussed the findings of the Carter-Baker Commission, and you've mentioned that again here today. That commission commented on the use of mail-in ballots after the 2000 election. Can you tell us a little bit about that commission's finding on mail-in ballots, as you recall it, and talk about how, some of the warnings that that commission put into place. Yes, the commission was referring to absentee ballots, but of course, in light of what has uh, happened in this presidential election, we're now talking about the unprecedented use of mail-in ballots. And their concern and their warning of former President Carter and Secretary of State Baker is that this is a mechanism or a platform for fraud and abuse. Be careful about it. Have safeguards in place. And I think that's at the bottom, what some of these concerns are. Uh, how did dead people vote accepting that allegation from Nevada? It is because of inadequate safeguards. Something, the dead person didn't walk into the ballot, uh, into the voting booth and vote. Someone voted for him or her. We have to have those safeguards in place. And that's what the uh, commission was saying and issuing that fervent warning that it may get worse in a deeply divided country. In 26 states, as I understand it, when it comes to mail-in voting, Judge, 26 states now in this country allow third-party ballot harvesting of mail-in votes. That's where you can pay a third party to go distribute the ballots. And you can't do this in my home state of Missouri because we have controls similar to those in Ohio that uh, Senator Portman was talking about. But in other states, 26 states, you can pay a third party to go distribute the ballots. You can pay a third party to pick up the ballots. There's no chain of custody there. There's no verification this seems to me an invitation to fraud and abuse. I've introduced legislation to end third-party ballot harvesting nationwide, to make it illegal nationwide. Would you, would you agree, Judge Starr, that looking at something like third-party ballot harvesting is a common-sense approach? By the way, some House Democrats even have endorsed this approach. Would, would you agree with me that that's a common-sense place to start when we think about preventing fraud and addressing it in our elections? Yes, because the opportunity for fraud and abuse uh, is so uh, rife and omnipresent with that kind of, if I may now call it that, worst practice. So, so many states have best practices. We heard from Senator Portman about Ohio. Uh, other states have these safeguards in place. Let's put safeguards in place, but one of them is let's eliminate practices that are so prone to fraud and abuse. And I think that's just the very beginning of what we should do. We should also make sure that poll watchers from both parties can be present at all times, that there are eyes on ballots, cameras on ballots at all times, that there's signature verification requirements that are mandatory, that there's mandatory reporting requirements about where we are in the count, where the states are, so the states just can't go dark for days at a time. All of this stuff ought to be common sense. There is no reason we should just shrug our shoulders and say, well, fraud happens all the time. You know, no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. And for millions and millions of Americans in this election, it's a very, very big deal indeed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Hawley, for your questions and for standing in. Uh, based on one question and the answer from uh, Judge Starr, I, I just want to read from my opening statement from last hearing. It is reflections on progress, peaceful coexistence, and intellectual freedom Russian dissident Andrei D. Sakharov wrote, quote, 
The second basic thesis is that intellectual freedom is essential to human society. Freedom to obtain and distribute information. Freedom for open-minded and unfearing debate and freedom from pressure by officialdom and prejudices. Such a trinity of freedom of thought is the only guarantee against an infection of people by mass myths, which in the hands of treacherous hypocrites and demagogues can be transformed into bloody dictatorship. Freedom of thought is the only guarantee of the feasibility of a scientific democratic approach to politics, economics, and culture. I like to think of this hearing is a demonstration that freedom to obtain and distribute information to the public. There's nothing dangerous about that. It is essential to our freedom. It's essential to our country, to our democratic republic, and is essential if we're going to restore confidence in this election system we have. We have to do this. We, we can't ignore the problem. The first step in solving any problem is admitting you have one and then dealing with it honestly, gathering the information. This hearing is all my hearings have been. have been a problem-solving process, first gathering the information. That's what we're trying to do here today. Senator Cinema. Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman. You know, the 2020 Arizona election was a successful election, not for any one party or individual, but for our democracy and as a demonstration of the will of Arizona voters. A record 80% of registered voters participated. Arizonans are independent. They vote for state and federal representatives they trust to be honest, who they believe will fight for and uphold Arizona values. This record turnout number is also a testament to the work of Arizona election officials who not only ensured our system worked and our laws were upheld, but did so while ensuring that people could safely participate in the election during the pandemic as voters and volunteers. Arizona has had some sort of absentee voting by mail for over 100 years. In 1992, the Arizona legislature and governor, in bipartisan fashion, made it easier for Arizonans to vote by mail by no longer requiring a reason to participate. Our vote by mail system has a number of safeguards to ensure safe elections. Ballots are mailed out 28 days prior to the election, and each ballot has a tracking mechanism. We use tamper-resistant envelopes, and ballot drop boxes have specific security requirements. Election staff are trained to authenticate signatures, and a voter is contacted if the signature cannot be verified. Arizona also has severe criminal penalties for ballot tampering or for throwing out someone's ballot. In 2018, when I was elected to the United States Senate, nearly 80% of Arizona voters voted early, most of them by mail. In 2020, that increased to 88%. That's 2.9 million votes moving through the postal system in Arizona. Arizona's postal workers put in long hours, many working 65 hours a week for weeks on end to ensure that ballots got to voters and were returned by state deadlines so they could be counted. Even though many postal facilities in Arizona are short-staffed right now, these essential workers didn't shy away from the challenge or the need to protect our democracy. Arizonans know it takes time to count our votes and determine election winners. When I was elected to the Senate, I was declared the winner six days, but it took 12 days to finish counting the votes. Now, that's not an indication of fraud. It shows that election officials are following the law and counting all the votes. That's how elections have worked in Arizona since our state adopted widespread mail-in voting. And it's how things worked in Arizona again in 2020. Our elections this year produced bipartisan results 
where members of both parties won elections. Arizona statewide elected officials from both parties have also confirmed that our election was fair, just, and without fraud. Katie Hobbs, Arizona's Democratic Secretary of State, on December 9th said this about our election. This election is one for the record books for a number of reasons. Participation was at a historic high, as was interest in the inner workings of this civic process, which is the kind of scrutiny that pushes the process to be better. I have full confidence in this election. That confidence has been affirmed by the courts. On November 20th, Clint Hickman, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, a Republican, said, no matter how you voted, this election was administered with integrity, transparency, and most importantly, in accordance with Arizona state laws. And on December 4th, the Republican Speaker of the Arizona State House, Rusty Bowers, rejected calls for the state legislature to change the result of Arizona's election. Here's his quote. As a conservative Republican, I don't like the results of the presidential election. I voted for President Trump and I worked hard to reelect him. But I cannot and will not entertain a suggestion that we violate current law to change the outcome of a certified election. I and my fellow legislators swore an oath to support the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution and laws of the state of Arizona. It would violate that oath, the basic principles of Republican government, and the rule of law if we attempted to nullify the people's vote based on unsupported theories of fraud. Challenges contesting the Arizona election were brought to the courts and dismissed, including a unanimous ruling by the Arizona Supreme Court confirming a lower court ruling upholding the results of the election challenge. This is how our system works. If there are concerns of fraud or abuse, the courts consider the evidence and make a ruling. Now, I have a few questions for Mr. Krebs. During your work at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, did you find any evidence that disputes the statements I shared from elected officials regarding the integrity and fairness of the 2020 election in Arizona? No, ma'am. More broadly, what evidence can you offer to support the idea that the election across the country, not just in Arizona, was fair and secure? Again, it's those uh, layered security controls that are in place before, during, and after an election. Uh, the thing that I always like to point back to is that increase of paper ballots across the country and the ability to then conduct post-election audits in, in Arizona, I believe it was a 2% audit. Uh, in Georgia, they did a risk-limiting audit that then triggered a full hand tally. Uh, the outcomes were consistent. 5% audit in uh, Wisconsin, 2% audit in uh, Pennsylvania. You know, those are the sorts of things that give you confidence in the process uh, when you can go and recount uh, the, the ballots over and over and over. What lessons should we learn from the 2020 election as we plan for future elections? Um, we need to invest in democracy. First and foremost, we need to fully eradicate those machines that don't have paper ballots, so those direct recording electronic machines. Uh, there's only one state that's statewide, and that's Louisiana, uh, but they are throughout uh, Texas, Indiana, um, Tennessee, and, and a couple other states, uh, including New Jersey. We need to get those out of the system, so Congress needs to fully invest in uh, a, a risk-based approach to eradicate those. We need to also continue investing in uh, post-election audit capabilities for the state. That takes a little bit more time. Um, and then uh, a steady stream of funding and uh, grants on a regular basis, not every 10 years or every four years, but every, you know, on a regular, dependable basis to support uh, elections. And along the same lines, we need to fully fund and support uh, the Election Assistance Commission. They are a critical tool to helping uh, the administration of elections. And lastly, 
and this is my uh, you know uh, pet pet project here. Uh, we need to reinvest in civics education in K through 12 throughout the country. We have to continue educating you know our, our children on what it means uh, to be an American and, and the democracy that we're enjoying here. Thank you. And my last question: Early in this election cycle, SISA and the FBI highlighted the potential threat that foreign elements could pose to the U.S. election system through disinformation campaigns. Looking back, did the U.S. do enough to prepare for this threat from both foreign and domestic actors? <laughs> Ma'am, we we um, we had the distinct advantage this time around of having about three and a half to four years to prepare for this election, and that's in uh, comparison to the prior administration. They only had about four months. We had four years. I know my team, we took every moment of the day to think through any number of scenarios. I've talked about it often that that I was paranoid, that we were looking for every angle that we possibly could. And I think that ultimately benefited us from a preparation perspective uh, when it came around and that we had a full range of scenarios we'd work through that we'd improve security at the state level. But, but ultimately, it came down to those perception hacks. It came down to disinformation. And I think rumor control was an incredibly valuable tool that we need to think about from a government-wide perspective, how rumor control, I've said rumor control as a service, how can we use rumor control to help uh, ensure uh, we, or well, rather counter disinformation on the vaccine for COVID as it rolls out? Those are the sorts of things we need to be thinking about. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I um, overextended my time. I yield back and thank you for your indulgence. Well, thank you, Senator Sinema, for participating. Um, I, I do want to just warn Mr. Palmer and Mr. Ryan, first of all, apologize for uh, not having maybe any questions directed your way. Uh, I, I will, at the tail end of this, uh, we have a, another quick round of questions here. Senator Peters has some, uh, but I will ask you a couple of questions. Then what I will tell all the witnesses is a final summary this actually I got from uh, this technique from Senator Carper is we'll give you each an opportunity to make kind of a final statement, things that either you weren't asked that you wanted to be asked about or, or something that you just think needs to be said during this hearing. So we'll do that, but I'll first turn it over to Senator Peters for some extra questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, a question for, uh, for Mr. Krebs. Uh, as you know, you and I have spoken about the rise of uh, domestic extremist uh, violence in the country and how we need to be uh, conscious of, of that rise. And, and in August, uh, FBI and Department of Homeland Security memos reportedly warned of threats uh, by domestic extremists to election-related targets uh, in the run-up to the uh, 2020 election. Unfortunately, and sadly, uh, these warnings uh, seem to have been uh, well warranted. Since uh, President Trump's uh, false claims of, uh, of widespread voter fraud, local election officials across the nation have faced uh, harassment. Uh, some have uh, faced death threats against themselves uh, and their families. Uh, in Michigan, uh, our Secretary of State uh, had uh, protesters uh, surround her home while she was uh, decorating uh, uh, it with her young child to get ready for uh, for Christmas. Uh, according to local law enforcement, many of those folks uh, were armed. Uh, they were repeating uh, some of the president's uh, false allegations of uh, widespread uh, fraud. In a false allegations, way. he's totally illegitimate. Uh, and after speaking out, uh, defending the integrity of the 2020 election, uh, it's my understanding that you and your family also uh, faced uh, threats. In fact, it required us to take some uh, and make some arrangements uh, for your security uh, to be here today to testify in person. 
On December 1st of this year, a top Republican election official, Gabrielle Sterling, in the Georgia Secretary of State's office held a news conference urging President Trump and Republican lawmakers to stop attacking Georgia's election system with baseless claims of voter fraud. Uh, And in that news uh, conference, uh, Mr. Sterling said President Trump was, and I'm quoting uh, Mr. Sterling here, quote, inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence, end of quote, and that, uh, new quote, someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to get shot, someone's going to get killed. You're going to get Mo. That's what's We saw a similar dangerous trend earlier this year when uh, election officials uh, questioned uh, COVID public health safety protocols and also fueled extremists, including in my home state, the extremists that targeted the the governor uh, of the state of Michigan. So my question for you, uh, Mr. Krabs, particularly given the fact that you've faced some of this, do you believe Mr. Sterling's statements are overstated or that unfortunately that real world violence stemming from dangerous claims can indeed be a realistic concern that we should be conscious of? Absolutely. He had a, uh, he himself received a number of threats and he has continued to receive threats as I understand it. The secretary Rappensberger down there has, I've continued to receive threats. Um, you know, and, and I think it's not just the, the, the heads of, you know, the, the, the principal level people, the, you know, the directors of the offices, he was having, IT contractors that were receiving death threats. Um, we're, we're seeing stoking of fires that is completely unnecessary with uh, with claims that are you know I'm not I'm not even talking about some of the court case court cases I'm talking about in my you know in, in my case and in some in many of our cases is these fanciful claims of of um, dead dictators and computer algorithms and we're debunking them because they're they're nonsense and we've said that from the beginning but they've taken root. And, you know, some people just don't want to hear what, how these systems actually work and what's actually capable across these systems. And most importantly, those, I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again, the paper ballots. It's those, those measure, the, the root of trust in the process, um, that, that can dispense with these claims. Even if these algorithms were there, they didn't work, but they're probably not there. So we, we've got to move past this. In these cases of threats, they need to be prosecuted. People need to, um, you know, be held accountable for these, uh, the claims they're making. And, uh, and just the, the last question, and we've spoke about this uh, earlier, that uh, if you look at uh, the fact that we were able to conduct this election in a fair uh, way, uh, during the middle of a pandemic, which is an extraordinary time to try to conduct uh, uh, fair elections and do it as efficiently as possible, uh, and the fact that you have thousands of election officials and volunteers that are working, I think of the men and women who went to the polling places to process uh, voting, uh, did it uh, with concerns about their health, people who went to vote or for their health, or folks who chose to vote absentee in order to, to uh, minimize uh, the, the risk uh, to their families, uh, to the health of their families. Uh, this is really, in, in my mind, a time to celebrate uh, a very successful election that was done fairly, and it was done in the midst of an extraordinary time that we're living in, and it's the result of folks in CISA, your your folks, others with Homeland Security, folks with the FBI and others. Would you just comment on that uh, as to how we should look at, at what we just went through 
Uh, and that's, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be looking uh, at ways to improve the system, to make sure that we minimize clerical errors, uh, to make sure that if they're isolated incidents of fraud that they're dealt with and they're caught. Uh, but we should be also celebrating uh, what just was pulled off in this country, which is an example of how a democratic system can work efficiently, fairly, and even do it under extraordinary pressure. I, I absolutely agree with with the, the earlier conversation about the need for a national conversation about how to improve trust in uh, the elections. I, I think, you know, things I've even recommended about el- eliminating the DREs and having more audits available after the election. And, and that's going to require, again, that, that policy conversation is going to require investing in democracy. But we do need to recognize the fact that this was a historic election. We had 100 million voters by November 3rd. Um, that shows that that people wanted to get out there and vote. They wanted to participate in this process. And all along, we have um, hundreds of thousands of election workers out there that, as you've pointed out, as I said in my opening statement, that that risked their lives in a global pandemic to make sure that, that we could all get out there and uh, vote. So we need to support them. I have significant concerns that the targeted violence against these election workers is going to have a chilling effect on turnout of election workers in the future. There's no election workers. It's really hard to do an election. So we need to be, we need to think about that and how to uh, counter that going forward. Thank you. Thanks, Senator Peters. Now, this is a number of times we've talked about uh, threat and violence against uh, election workers, which obviously nobody on this committee condones at all, at all. I certainly hope there's not an inference in all this discussion that this hearing is going to spawn some of that. Uh, Anybody listening to this hearing, do not engage in that, okay? I I wish Senator Paul were actually here to talk about his scrape with threats and violence in the political realm. We're in a terrible position in this country where you have this level of threat across the political spectrum. Nobody, nobody should condone it. Certainly not this committee, certainly not this chairman. But that's what I think this hearing is about, is to provide the information, talk honestly about it, take a look at allegations. If they can be explained, take them off the, take them off the table. There's plenty that as we were uh, doing our preparation for this hearing, we were able to take off the table. That's what this is about. This is about information, obtaining it, the freedom to obtain it and disseminate it information without turn over senator carper thanks uh, mr chairman again our thanks to our, our witnesses you've been patient been here for a long time those of you that are here personally and those that are connected uh, from from afar um i uh, i mentioned earlier i'd, I'd gone, gone to ohio state uh fortunately i never nobody in my family ever graduated from college i won this navy rotsky scholarship i got to go to college and the person in my family i think to, to graduate from college the um uh, when i got to ohio state i I found out there was a, a little town just north of Columbus called uh, Delaware. And so my four years at Ohio State, I'm thinking of Delaware. I'm thinking, you know, it's a little town just north of Columbus. And, and then I found out later on it's a state. And uh, I uh, when I finished up my active duty at the end of the Vietnam War and moved from California to, uh, to Delaware to get an MBA. I, uh, I, I learned it on December 7th, 1787. December 7th, 1787. Uh, Delaware became the first state to ratify, first colony to ratify the uh, Constitution. And then 12 others followed suit, and we ended up with a country that prevails to this day. 
Uh, I, I, a little bit of a student of history, I know we all are, but uh, one of the things I learned about uh, the uh, framers, the Constitutional Convention up in Philadelphia, just north of where my wife and I live, my family lived uh, just north of uh, Wilmington, is um, they, uh, they disagreed on, on a bunch of stuff. They disagreed on a bunch. Probably the hardest thing for them to agree on, it turns out, was uh, should there be a judiciary? Article 2, I think it is, but it should there be a judiciary. And if so, uh, how would uh, who's going to pick the judges? And uh, they argued and argued for days, weeks, trying to figure it out. And somebody came up with the ideas and finally said, it shouldn't just be the Senate, it shouldn't just be the House. The, uh, it ought to be the president, president to appoint with the advice and consent of the Senate. And so they voted on it, and they voted it down. And they, uh, whenever they'd run into an impasse at the, up in Philadelphia, they, they would bring in uh, uh, faith leaders to come in and pray for wisdom for our framers. And they did that again. And they debated some more for days. And finally, somebody said, why don't we just go back to that earlier idea and vote on it again? And they did. And they adopted a clause that says the president shall nominate with the advice and consent of uh, the Senate. Those who will serve lifetime, lifetime terms are extraordinary uh, and, uh, as our, our, our judges. They, uh, is it a perfect solution? No. We've been wrestling for, what, 200-some years, figuring out what is the advice and consent of the Senate. What's that really mean? And we, just in recent months, we've been wrestling again with, with that. But it's a, an imperfect solution to a very real uh, challenge. And that is that we're going to have dis disagreements and we're going to have disputes that need to be resolved. We need to, this is before, I, learned, I was talking about football earlier. In baseball, they call balls and strikes. But the framers, they didn't have baseball to talk about, but they knew they needed somebody to call balls and strikes and to have a system that most people say, well, that's fair and reasonable. Well, we've needed uh, folks to, judicial judges, federal judges and others, to be able to call balls and strikes. In all these uh, litigation, 61 in instances around the country, 61. And uh, they've done that. And uh, some people like uh, the results and, and other, other people don't. And I think what I, what I want to, uh, two, two points to make in, in closing is for, uh, before I have to go to another meeting. But one of those is uh, at some point in time, we have to say uh, enough's enough. It's time to turn the page and let's get uh, about our nation's work. Here this week, and we we're just voting on the floor and people are talking to me about negotiations going on on this COVID package on uh, addressing the climate change and ways to create jobs. Um, all kind of stuff that's in play literally right now. It's an exciting time to be in the Senate. And I'm encouraged by, 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 by that. Another thing I'd say, uh, in, the, in the Navy, I was a Naval flight officer, later a P-3 aircraft mission commander for a long time, active in reserve. But, uh, and, um, and Naval aviation, especially in P-3 community, uh, you have a job in the airplane on the crew, you have a job on the ground. And for a while, my job was, I was a squadron air intelligence officer when we were in Southeast Asia. And um, I have a huge respect for intelligence agencies. And we got a bunch of them. They're really good ones. One of our friends, one of our former colleagues, uh, was a former senator from, from Indiana. And uh, he ended up as a, a DNI, Director of National Intelligence. And a good friend of, all, I think, all of us. And, and Dan, uh, I, saw, I talked to him when he stepped, uh, stepped down as uh, head of DNI. And I asked him, uh, 
I said, just talk to me as a, as a friend and off the, off the record. I guess I'm going on the record. But, but I said, uh, whether, are you convinced that the Republic, are you convinced that, that the Russians were involved in, in trying to you know, put their hands or their fingers on the, the, the scales on the, president, the presidential elections in 2016? He said, without a doubt, without a doubt they were. And I said, uh, well, how do, there's like 17 or so intelligence agents. They say, does, does some of them feel that way? And he said, no, all of us do. It's unanimous. Everybody feels that the, uh, the Russians were, were interfering on our election in 2016, and they wanted to change the outcome. And they said they weren't trying to help uh, Hillary Clinton. They were trying to help uh, Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm not asserting that he was, they were doing that at his request. Or, but but I, in a way, maybe they, maybe they were, <laughs> come to think of it. But uh, there's... There's no question they were involved and with a purpose, was a single purpose, the Russians. And um, we caught them red-handed. And, and we've been dwelling on that for four years now. Uh, we need to get over it. We need to get over it. I respect enormously the work of our intelligence agencies. I think we all do. But that's, we need to put that in the pandemic. Uh, we need to put that in our rearview mirror. And if we're ever going to put this pandemic in the rearview mirror, we've got to figure out how to provide vaccinations timely, promptly, correctly to about 250 million Americans. We don't vaccinate kids under the age of seven. There's 20, 250 million Americans. We, we got to get vaccinated once, but twice in the right sequence. Good record keeping. Got to convince about 30% of people in this country that it's safe to do this. We have to set an example for that. We got a lot of work to do. If we do that, if we do that, we'll be on our way coming out of this recession and on our way to better, uh, better days ahead for our country and for the people who really are counting on us. So I'd ask to, to us to keep our eye on, on the ball. Well, let me close this, Mr. Chairman, if I could. There are, we only have three counties in Delaware. The southernmost county is called Sussex County. And the, uh, there's a town in Sussex County called Seaford, which is famous for being the first uh, nylon plant in the world built in Seaford, Delaware. And they had like 4,000 people working there from World War II up until about 10 years ago. And uh, there's a, a church close to the, the plant there. It's a Methodist church. And the minister used to be uh, there is an old guy, uh, Reverend uh, Reynolds, Reverend Reynolds, whose son was a Republican state rep and a football coach and a great guy. And uh, Reverend Reynolds, when I got elected governor, he said to me, um, he, he wanted to come and sit and talk to me and, and visit with me and share some thoughts. And I said, sure. And everybody's known in our lives, I'm sure a chairman, a ranking member, the people that we've known in our lives, they're just wise. They just have a lot of wisdom, and every now and then, every now and then they share it with us. And he came to meet with me, and, and he said these words. We had a lovely conversation. I actually had lunch together. And he said to me, he said, just remember this, Tom. He said, uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what he said. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I sat there, and I said, what in the world are you talking about? It took me a while to figure it out, but I finally did. And I would just say, uh, the main thing here is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is, uh, we have this gift, the Constitution, that's not perfect, but it actually puts us on a course to, for a more, more perfect union, a more perfect union. Hopefully, we're going to learn from these, uh, what we did well in this election and what we didn't. And uh, years from now, people look back and said, well, they kept their eye on the ball. They kept their eye on the main thing. If we do that, history will look well in our efforts. So, what sorry, is going thank on here? Is this guy on something? Thank you. And to our witnesses. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Carpenter. Again, appreciate it. Dude, your he's like insane. This morning. I would say the main thing of this hearing 
is the fact that we need to have confidence in the integrity of our election. And we have to recognize the reality that right now, and quite honestly, for the last four years, that hasn't existed. You know, 2016, illegitimate result, resistant. You remember the, the famous uh, tweet by Mark Zaid. You know, can't remember it off the top of my head, but something like, you know, coup has begun, impeachment will follow. Um, that's what we've been living with for, with four years. Different election, different result, different side. And the reality is people have concerns. And I'm just saying there, these are legitimate concerns. You mentioned the courts. I've acknowledged the process has worked its way to a conclusion. Um, I've got some like 50, 59 court cases. Now, many of these, is, as uh, Mr. Troop has talked about, uh, some were not decided on the facts. They're just decided and dismissed based on standing, which is, again, that's our process. That's a legitimate uh, decision by a court, but it's not very satisfying for people who have some facts that want to be considered by a court. Or Mr. Benal, the same thing in Nevada. So to deny the reality that we have a problem, a very serious problem, is not is that's not the main. The main thing is we have to acknowledge that problem and we have to work together to fix it, to restore the confidence. So let me just uh, see if I can wake up uh, Mr. Ryan and Mr. Palmer, make sure they're there. Uh, ask a couple of questions of each of you, and then I'll give all of you the opportunity to kind of make a, a relatively brief. I mean, I, <laughs> this this is actually a long hearing for us. I know the Judiciary Committee sometimes goes on long, but this is a long hearing for, for our committee. And I really do appreciate the involvement of as many, as many members who, who took this thing seriously. But uh, Mr. Ryan, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay. I am. Thank you, Senator. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. I hope you had lunch or something in the, in the interim. Um, uh, yeah, Representative Ryan, in our conversations, uh, you were talking about, as, as Mr. Benal talked about, the, your inability to get access to certain things that you know, I would hope Director Krebs would agree should be transparent and that you know, th those of you having questions about or even challenging results should have access to in order to mount an effective challenge. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, Senator. As a former chair of an audit committee of publicly traded companies and currently the chair of the audit committee, the public school employee retirement system, the Control environment is a critical component of it. Mr. Krebs is referring to, as an example, the security systems, and I don't dispute his comments on that at all, and I, I applaud the great work that's been done uh, at CISA. But until the entire control environment, that's the tone at the top, has been properly evaluated and documented to where you can have a Six Sigma or lean systems approach that allows you to be able to have this transparent, auditable result, it violates one of the basic principles of any systems of internal controls. One of the things that we tried to deal with with the Sarbanes-Oxley bill that I think it was done effectively was this concept of control deficiencies, significant deficiencies, and material weaknesses. The absence of the ability to provide a timely audit of that information is problematic. And I would just like to just make this comment. I spent a lifetime uh, as a reserve officer, uh, and so I was also on active duty, either in Operation Uphold Democracy in Haiti, Operation Iraqi Freedom. I helped supervise some of the elections results in Iraq in 2005 after I was called out of retirement. And I would pray that all those sacrifices made by the millions upon millions of people who served in our military 
to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies foreign and domestic would be upheld as well on our shores so we can ensure the same type of election integrity that we're asking for with transparent, fair, and accurate results can be assured within the United States. We know 44 of the states apparently went off without a hitch, so we have six states that we're dealing with. That's a pretty good track record, but unfortunately, uh, when you consider the fact that the four of the states were that razor-thin margin close, the results of the election could have been in question. I concur, Senator, that most of the results have already been looked at from a challenge from a legal perspective, so it's probably a moot point for the current election, but I pray that the Senate will take up this battle standard and say we need to really reaffirm to make sure that the people have the faith and confidence in our election systems. I try to live by a triangle of faith. The faith is to believe, to believe is to have faith, and to have faith is to have trust. Whenever that trust triangle is broken, we will have difficulties and discord will follow. And I pray to God that every person listening to this testimony hears your words and says, let's have a peaceful resolution of all of these concerns we have so we can get on with business issues. Well, thank you, Representative Ryan, and thank you for your service. And we'll come back to you for your closing comment. Uh, Mr. Palmer, um, in our discussion uh, prior to this hearing, uh, and again, I appreciate your service. and Grandstanding and your, much? Uh, come on, guys. Membership of, of the commission. Put his feet to the fire. You talked about some things that troubled you with this election. Can you just kind of uh, review those with the committee? Uh, a few of the things that, that I was concerned about, um, I think that raised the emotions um, from the political campaigns. Some of it was the treatment of poll watchers. Um, I believe transparency is a very important thing. And one of the concerns I had was that people need to be treated with respect. I understand as an election administrator that often we are doing our job and we don't believe anybody needs to be watching the process. But some of the reports, it gets back to sort of this, the way we treat each other in this country, you know, and, and if a poll watcher is observing the process, they, they have a right to be there. They observe the process. They need to be respectful of the election official. Um, there were some significant reports that that process was, um, you know, was uh, interfered with and people were treated very poorly. And it's not the first time. I worked at the Department of Justice and the Civil Rights Division. And one of the things that I saw a lot often was based on party or race, you know, citizens treat each other poorly and, and even in the context of elections. And so I think that we need to make a commitment uh, of respect toward each other and to each political campaign. Um, you know, I think that that was the major issue. I think that hearing a lot of the reports about uh, the inaccuracy of the voter rolls, I've been talking about this for a long time. It's because there's just not the focus or the resources provided at the state or local level, in my opinion, to maintain the accuracy of the voter rolls. I think that a lot can be done in a nonpartisan way, in a very smart way with technology. Um, election officials don't often have the, the latest technology. And so upgrades to voter registration systems and to resources of data Feelings. can help them feelings. and make sure their roles are as accurate as can be. And frankly, I just think that this has become somewhat of a partisan issue, and therefore any attempt to maintain the accuracy of the roles can be seen as a negative. This is what happens is that if you have highly inaccurate oh roles, then there's perception of fraud. He's talking about fee-fees. Actual fraud, we actually see that. And it may not change in election except in a close race, but our job as administrators is to make sure that there is um, no fraud. And mitigate and minimize any irregularities. That's the goal. Only with technology and resources and a commitment to doing it 
Well, we see those instances decrease. And that's why I, I believe technology and resources are some bipartisan ways to decrease that, sir. If you could also, because you're... Can we also see why I left yesterday? Because I was not going to hold tongue certify in there. Some of these voting machines, not all of them, but in some states, you can you just quickly, and I mean quickly, go through kind of what that certification process uh, is. And I think that, that was one of the issues you did see is, you know, somebody trying to get back into those machines uh, in, inside that certification process. Well, we have a certification process for voting systems. One of the vulnerabilities that we have, um, and I believe CISA would agree, is that the non-voting systems that are tied to the internet, they perform important functions like voter registration, electronic poll books. There is no standards or testing. You know, that's one of the things that we're trying to yes, do. Yes, there is. It's in the HAVA Act. Do. But it's a big it's a big gap in our defenses, and it's one that we may not have been burned this time, but it is a vulnerability, and we need to take care of it. Okay, well, thank you. Well, now, now we'll move to uh, uh, closing statements here, and we'll go in reverse order. So, again, uh, former Director Krebs, again, I, I appreciate uh, your service to the country. I, I appreciate what you accomplished. As you know, I've, I've acknowledged that repeatedly. I, mean, I think the fact that we've gone from uh, 82 to 95% paper backup, that, that's all great stuff. Um, and I certainly appreciate you coming here and just fine today. So I'll let you, uh, with any closing comments, go I'm, ahead. Thank you, uh, Chairman Johnson. I'm going to keep this short because I think this is a historic uh, hearing for me. This may be the longest hearing that I've had in this chamber. So I will try to wrap this one up quickly. First is thank you to you for your ongoing and constant support of CISA. Uh, you know, you were key in getting us across the finish line in the Senate and ultimately in November of 2018. So thank you for your leadership there, supporting other key initiatives for the agency, including the administrative subpoena uh, bill. So thank you for that. Uh, just a quick comment to the team at CISA. If they're watching, you know, it was an honor to lead. Yeah. Uh, thank you. For there was a CISA employee on those Zoom calls the ahead of you, for uh, the coup. And then lastly, thank you to the other witnesses for uh, uh, showing up today. And thank you for what they do. Lock them up. Again, thank you to your leadership here and good luck. Well, Lock them up. Based on the retention issue, you might encourage them to stay a little bit longer, but uh, I'll do that. Um, Mr. Bunnell. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We cannot ignore voter fraud away. We can't just wish it away. Unfortunately, that's what the media these past weeks has been trying to do. In the most biased reporting I think I've ever seen, or even in headlines, they, they try to claim that the evidence I've seen with my own eyes is somehow not there. We can't wish it away. It's, it is just simply right now a gaslighting attempt on America. This is real. This happened. We have to address it. We cannot intimidate the problem away. Rightfully, much testimony today has talked about um, why it's so important. Nothing. They've talked about nothing. Election officials not be intimidated. But myself, the lawyers on my team, volunteers, whistleblowers, there is a number of people who have stood up for this fraud that have faced similar death threats, similar uh, intimidation, similar harassment. We don't pay it. I don't pay it a lot of attention because no one is ever going to intimidate me away from pursuing the truth, pursuing the law, representing my client. But we need to make sure that other groups that are out there that are encouraging the intimidation of lawyers, even you know, from threatening to, to go after their bar cards on one side, going after their clients, or going after their safety or their lives, that cannot stand either. We cannot stonewall it away. I talked briefly about some stonewalling attempts. One other that, that we ran across in Nevada is that we had um, 
we had postal service uh, employees that we knew of that were directly told to deliver ballots to undeliverable addresses. That is what resulted in ballots being littered all across apartment mail rooms um, and trash cans everywhere. And they were they were told in many instances to, to, to deliver ballots to undeliverable addresses. And the United States Postal Service, they obstructed our ability to get that evidence in our case. We lost one of our uh, 15 depositions because the United States Postal Service um, actually obstructed that. It raises the question with all this stonewalling that we, we encountered, what do you have to hide? And I think we know in this case what there is to, to hide. I said in my opening statement that government by consent of the governed is hard to win and easy to lose. That's why it's so important that we take this so incredibly seriously. Uh, Senator Hawley told a very important story about his constituents, and I ask all senators to think about their constituents, to think about how you're supposed to tell that your constituents to turn out to vote if they don't know that it's their vote that's going to matter, that they don't Does know it? that their vote is going to be canceled out by the fraud of somebody else. Their vote's going to be diluted by these irregularities. Irregularities? Oh, my God. Violations of law. That this problem didn't happen. It did. This is the United States of America. We don't run from that. We fix it. We have to use every arrow in our quiver to fix it because it did happen. And it's now on all of us to make sure that we fix it. I really appreciate the committee's time and the chairman's time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bernal. Uh, Representative Ryan. Senator, thank you very much for the thank you for your courage in, in having this hearing. Uh, if I could just uh, conclude with these comments, our nation is at a crossroads. Uh, no matter what happens with any of the work that is being done relative to looking at this, since probably about the year 2000, and apparently even went back as far as 1787, although I wasn't there for that particular meeting shortly thereafter, but not that one, the Consent of the governed will determine whether or not they believe in the results of any election. It has gotten significantly worse. It's one of the reasons I ran for office. I was elected in 2016, obviously later in my life. We have to examine the processes from start to finish. CISA has done a phenomenal job in so many different respects. And under the concerns relative to COVID-19, I actually recommend using the CISA standards. And for all the poll watchers, all the poll workers, the directors of election, I God bless them for the great work that they've done. By the same token, there's a point in time now where we as a nation have to sit back and say, we have to solve these problems. We have to take a look at the entire process from start to finish and the ability of people to interfere with those election results. The ability of the person to be able to change the system of control so that we can no longer rely on. I've heard some of the comments today, and I go back to what I heard in 2007 and 2008 when I was a practicing CPA keeping companies out of bankruptcy, and Meredith Whitney was bringing up the concerns she had about the strength and stability of the banking industry, and she was vilified. Michael Lewis, when he wrote The Big Short, was vilified. The assumption was was that no documentation loans were not dangerous. Ignore that concern that both of them had nothing to be concerned about. Shortly thereafter, there was a triggering event and the housing bubble burst and the United States was thrust into one of the worst issues that we've had to deal with financially in a long time. Many states are still recovering. 
I would tell you we are at that seminal moment today relative to the sanctity of our elections that have probably been building since 1787. But now is the time for all of us to sit back and say we need to not vilify one another. And Senator, I applaud you for your willingness to open to get to an open, transparent basis here. But we need to sit down and do these types of hearings as much as the Band-Aid being pulled off may be painful. No, we don't. We need to expose no, we don't. Concerns. Guess what? We're not doing it anymore because they're talking smack. This is so dumb. Let me walk you through this for a second. All right. So they just had a hearing. Good thing I left yesterday, right? My, my, my round little ass would have been down there screaming. Okay. And I would have been arrested for disruption. Let me tell you what, uh, this whole thing was right now. Um, you know what? Let's, Let's take a break. One second. I need a break. Because um, we've been going for, whoa, an hour and a half. So I'm going to take a short break. Uh, <laughs> dang. I'm just so angry right now. Dang. So, yeah, I want to take a break. So let's listen to some Christmas music while we take a break. Just a three-minute break. It's totally necessary right now for me because it's making me so upset. Yeah, we have to laugh. I mean, that we had to laugh. I had to leave him say, yeah, you cracked me up. Because, guys, this is a joke. And I, I know how the movie ends. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I know how this movie ends. But I can't stand to not be frustrated. So before I tell you what this exactly is, what you're watching and what what happened to come about, okay? Because, in fact, nothing can stop what's coming. It's game over. The one thing I learned in my time running around in these circles, in the dark, blind. Well, no, not blind. Wearing, what, what do the horses wear? Um, oh, come on. The things, oh, man. The, the blinders that they have, right? So they only look one way. That's how I felt uh, at some point in my life where I realized that I was wearing blinders and I could only see what I was allowed to see. Uh, I noticed that there's one thing that that this fourth unelected branch of government that, that that runs globally really does, and that is they always have a backup plan. They always have a backup plan. So when this uh, election fraud occurred, and it was the same thing that happened in. 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, and 20. I was like, all right, man, <laughs> let me go and uh, suss out the backup plan. Because the backup plan is always in place. It's there to make sure that if they failed, right, that they can still win. Man, man, man. So this thing where they haven't inspected the equipment. As the affidavit states, the problem here is that 
it allows for foreign interference. If you're not inspecting the equipment, it allows for foreign interference. So let's take Pennsylvania, for example. Why did they get, listen to this, certification that they were qualified to inspect the equipment, the machines, the machines, not as a whole as a system, which means software and machine. This is where they mess up because I told you words are very important. And if we don't pay attention, like the president said, mail-in ballots are not the same as absentee ballots. Voting software is not the same as voting machinery. Okay. So in Pennsylvania, the company that inspected the equipment did not have a certification, at least from NIST, which means absolutely nothing. According to the HAVA Act, it's just like an extra brownie point, like a letter of recommendation. But they got it 27 days before the election. But the whole process that the stupid Secretary of State signed, saying that the equipment and the software was actually inspected, was completed on the 30th of August, 2020. So what they're telling us is that the company that did the inspections didn't have a certification when they did the whole inspection of the systems. Which means that the elections were null and void, period. I don't know why we're even debating. This is law. It is law. You cannot have elections with a machine that, according to a congressionally passed act, has not been inspected. And what boggles my mind is that all of these people are talking about the extra votes, this, the, the, the algorithms. Yes, we know the software is corrupt. We know they went in there to create the ballots after the algorithm did its job. I've been telling you that since last year, last year. That's not it. We need to look at the machines because the machines give us the law. And there is no judge out there that could say, well, we're going to ignore a congressionally passed act because I feel like it. You can't do that. So this is what is the most important thing. Now, you're going to say, how is it a trap? Well, here's how it's a trap. Well, what if President Trump was able, like some really weird way that it happened in 2016, right? <laughs> In 2016, they couldn't deploy the scripts. They couldn't stall the elections. They couldn't flip the votes because they didn't have access. <laughs> Could have been, I don't know, you know, something as simple as not having internet because their cables went out. Just saying. I mean, allegedly, maybe. So magically in 20, 2016, they couldn't steal the elections because somebody may have physically hindered them. I mean, you know, that could be considered a heroic act, but it can also be considered a crime of destruction of property. So let's just pretend. So what happened in 2020? What if President Trump was able to make sure that the routers were solid and nobody could penetrate in some way? Well, he would have been elected. And then, once he'd be inaugurated, guess what would have happened? I'm going to tell you what would have happened. Impeachment. And it would have been open, shut. Why? Well, it's your EAC, sir. 
you've let the Russians have access to your computers. And we're going to bring all these people to testify that you organized a group of Anons, possibly it could have been Q, to come in and allow the Russians to enter our election machines so that you can win, sir. Because you made sure that the companies that didn't weren't certified. You see what I'm saying? So this is why it's important to state it. So the the hindrance that I found when I was in Washington was like, why are you? I don't care if you parade. I don't care if you have Pelosi on video feeding a ballot machine at night. Nobody gives two diddly squats. They're still going to pretend it didn't happen. They're going to tell you it's a deep fake and it doesn't matter. So what they're going to do is they're going to pretend it never, ever happened. So you can bring up 50,000 postal workers and we will discredit every single one of them because of their past, which doesn't mean that what they did wasn't, you know, valid or what they're saying is wrong. They're just going to do that. Or maybe we'll kill some or maybe threaten them or sick the Chinese in their computers or, 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 or send death threats like pictures of dead relatives and stuff like that. That's what they do. So. You have to think, why would Republicans refuse to take something that could have pulled the rug out from under them and stopped the trap? Well, that means that while speaking through expertise on the coding system and the implementation of these elections, it had to be documented on behalf of the people that, hey, they're not certified. And this is why there was this, all this fakery. I need a beat button. Really, I do when I cuss because I don't like cussing. But there, there, there's got to be a reason. And the reason is because it's not the damn Democrats running the show. It's not the Democrats. They're blatant. They're just along for the ride because they're all burnt guards. It's the damn Republicans. It's the damn rhinos. And I told you that when I told you how the RNC had hired again and let people in their back door and, you know, that guy was fired, Max the Spy. Look, look for the article about Rona McDaniel. I put it on my website. I showed you how they gave full and unfettered access to whoever wanted to, to the back door to the RNC. Yet here we are. We found the trap that they were going to use against the president. This is how you boomerang it back. This is a boomerang. This is where you're like, wait, hold on a second. You know what? The people are right. These elections are all fake. Last real election. (laughs) My gosh. The last real election was uh, exactly that. It was simply President Trump. And here are the next 2016 persons that actually have a say in what goes on. Richard Shelby, Lisa Murkowski, John Boozman, Michael Bennett, Richard Blumenthal, Marco Rubio, Brian Schatz, Mike Crapo, Tammy Duckworth, Todd Young, Chuck Grassley, Jerry Moran, Rand Paul, John Neely, Chris Van Hollen, Roy Blunt, Catherine Cortez Masto, Maggie Hassan, Chuck Schumer, Richard Burr, Freaking John Hoven, Rob Portman. Damn, look at all these rhinos. James Lankford, uh, Lankford, Ron Wyden, 
Pat Toomey, Tim Scott, John Thune, Mike Lee, Patrick Leahy, Ron Johnson, and maybe Kamala Harris. Those are the only people right now, as of this moment, at 1.43 Eastern Time on December 16th, 2020, that have the right to speak on behalf of the people. So these are the only people across all of America that have any voice and any say in anything that goes on. That means Pelosi ran an impeachment which wasn't valid because she wasn't elected. This is how it is. And the fact that no one is using that trap to throw it back in their face correctly. I mean, okay, we got the Senate hearing. I'm glad. I'm glad that it was put in. I mean, Mitch McCain was really pissed. He didn't want anything like this. Do you know how many committees I went to? You have no idea. I went to all of them. And they were not elected. Nobody has been elected. President Trump is, in fact, the last, the presidential elections of 2016 were the last ones. And a very successful mishap occurred that did not allow them to deploy their scripts. That's what happened. And this is why we had the first fair election in the United States, fair per se. There was still an algorithm, but we broke the algorithm. The algorithm was broken in two. It cracked. That's why Trump won. Because they didn't have the ability to drop these scripts. So if 2016 is the last official election, that means officially those the list of names that I gave you and President Trump and VP Penson is, are the only people that can speak for us. No one else has been elected. That includes your state on your state level too. 2016, we broke the algorithm and they couldn't fix it. This year it broke so hard that they had issues in actually penetrating. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Well, you know, stuff. But they still did it. And it was identical to that in the Ukraine. Did you know that? Did you know that in 2014, just like in America, suddenly they stopped counting? And it's like, what happened? Stop counting. Why? Because people that wanted fair elections in Ukraine, rather than the $50 million Obama gave them, right, broke their ability to get in. They cracked it. They made sure they couldn't get in. And I mean... Maybe someone was paying attention as to how the Ukrainians were trying to fight it and said, hmm, that looks like a great idea. Our elections are coming up in two years. Maybe we should be paying attention to how these Ukrainians were going against fixed elections in their country. And this is where we're at. They've been fixing our elections. And not only that, they knew just how smart our president is that they believed, they believed that he would overcome their fraud. They believed that he would have mitigated it. Ergo, Christy McCormick that was appointed by Obama. Patricia, damn, I keep calling her Leahy. What is her name again? Layfield, there we go. Layfield, the IG of the EAC. Donald Palmer, this idiot named Hoverson that looks really special, like when you look at him. Well, Donald, uh, which you heard speaking, what a loser. And um, 
that guy Hoverson were both appointed in 2019. Okay. I'm telling you, this is it. They were complicit with this. The EAC purposely did not follow up and maintain the guidelines and the rules and regulations set out by the Have a Fair Election Act of 2002 passed by Congress because of the rubbish that happened with the buttons that all of them, ooh, all of them organized so well. (laughs) They broke the law and they did it on purpose. And if not any, if anything, though for the whole year of 2018, for the whole year of 2018, that agency had no quorum. They had no money. Therefore, they did not do their job. Therefore, the 2018 elections were also bunk. The point here is that it's not a matter of, yes, we can see them. They were definitely stealing the election. You've got to be, you know, dumb, mute, blind, and unable to receive any sensory input to not see that it was stolen. You can ignore it, but it's true. It's blatant and it's not working. Everyone's playing dumb. Everyone's looking the other way. They even call it discrepancies. Don't call it a discrepancy. Call it a violation of law. Oh, what did he say? Oh, we don't have any, uh, you know, rules and regulations. What the heck do you call the congressional act? See, they scrubbed the document that shows what each state committed to. So I made sure I put that document in my affidavit so it doesn't get lost. Now it's been made public record to the Supreme Court. They agreed. These are their laws. This is how they do it. And they haven't done it. Every single state is at fault across the nation for not doing it. So this is how it goes. They stole Every single, how, do, how the heck do you think AOC or Ilhan Omar, who's not even a legal refugee, she came in as an adult lying uh, that she was a child. How do you think they were placed there? Because they fix everything. I mean, let's kudos, right? Whoever created that psyop of AOC, freaking genius, freaking genius. But again, it goes back to 1864. This is war. And this has never happened before. And I met with very, 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 very decorated persons in D.C. And I can tell you what one of them said to me. Tori, we can't pull this card. (laughs) Why not? This is like the Trump card. We take their trap and rub it in their face and say, whoops, tough. Know what he said? It'll be chaos. This has never happened before. That would mean that we have to admit that we've had illegitimate governance for all this time. And I was like, that's great. No one better in the office of the presidency right now that can steer this shit show and these uncharted waters. No one better than him. There's no one better than Trump to do this. No one better than Trump. That president can get this out and going easily. Streamline. A big fraud. We all know it's a fraud. We all knew they were cheating. We all knew the the things that they were doing against our nation. Look at the fake impeachment, the fake investigation, the fake this, the fake that. Everything fake. We saw it. We're not blind. And we're fine. And, and I looked at him and I was like, all your years serving the nation, are you really not thinking that this is the best way to go? I mean... I'm just a simple person. And I can tell you that the donut shop owner on the corner, the mom at home with four kids single on welfare will say, 
No, we're going to be fine. Yes, we're going to be fine. Our president right now that we have is the best guy to deal with chaos. Best guy. Because, well, we don't have any precedents. Like, how do we do this? And you're asking me. We make precedents. If there's no door in a room and you're stuck in it, what do you do? You break down the damn wall. You make your own door. We're going to have to sit here and wait and see somewhere 200 years ago when this crap happened. No, we make our own rules. We're in charge. Nobody else is. And if they have done this and they were using that as a trap, we break the wall down and say, look, this has never happened before. President Trump, what do you think we should do? Oh, you think we should say, all right, I guess, you know, we got to start all over again, man. State elections, city elections, all of it's invalid. Sorry. And we'll help the military. We'll install the military and get that stuff organized for every state. State by state, it'll take time. We'll get it done. I mean, that's that's my simple mind, how it would work. We don't need to make it more complex. Because his face, when, when, when he sat across from me, his face was like, are you insane? This is crazy. No one's done this before. We have to draw from legislation. <laughs> we make our own laws. We pass our own laws. So are you saying if in the 1800s they didn't have electronic voting machines and they didn't cheat like the way they did and they allowed the Chinese or the Europeans or whoever they hired, which are pretty much American citizens that work for the intelligence community as contractors, to go in there and hack them, right? So since they didn't do it in the 1800s, 1700s, 1900s, we shouldn't address it now. This is a new problem. They didn't have electronic voting then. They didn't have the Internet then. New laws with new things. Right? I mean, didn't they migrate all our data into the freaking cloud for the doctors? So if you're in Beijing and you break your leg, they could just pull up all your history, right? Things change. <laughs> your privacy changes too. Back in the days, peeking through your window would have gotten you shot. Now it's like peeking at your phone through your camera on your phone while you're on the toilet is totally normal. You know, things change. And what we need to do is push for that change. Because we're in charge, not the laws of the days of yore that didn't have the problems of today. And the problems of today are that these little clowns are sneaky AF. And what we need to do is be smarter than them. And so now that we found their trap, we can hold it. And hey, maybe they're, they've decided in some, some, you know, buried re- regulation. Oh, we don't really need to do the whole hearing again, even though the congressional act says so and we haven't amended it. But, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. Have an act is a congressionally act, a congressionally passed act. If indeed we apply it the way it is, which is the law, which is the law, that means that there has not been a valid election in the United States of America since 2016. That means only less than 20 senators right now and the president of the United States and the VP have any, have any say in anything that goes on in this nation. Everybody else is null and void. And so the question is, you need to start making phone calls to your senators and your congressmen and say, listen, dude, you're not legit. The machines weren't checked. And guess what? When this goes down, your ass is not going to get reelected because you sat there with your thumb up your ass for four years while all this stuff was going on and you knew it. 
All of you knew it. Every single one of you. No one looked at that. They just assumed. Election, see see how they changed it, how they skewed it? It's called voting election systems. System means software and equipment. They're two different things. You can have a computer that's a Dell, but it can run Linux, Mac OS. You put whatever you want on that, baby. Two different things. You can't say, I'm inspecting my whole computer system. No, you inspect your hardware, and then you inspect your software, and you have to make sure that your software works with your hardware. Right. But you also have to, when it comes to elections, check that your hardware doesn't have any back doors or windows for, I don't know, Chinese or, I don't know, rogue SISA agents. This is it. They've changed the words. They've changed the verbiage. So they forgot the laws. And that was perfect because. How is the president going to know that the EAC doesn't have money if nobody tells him? How is he going to know that they have no quorum and aren't doing their job? How is he going to know that they dropped the ball on the certifications? How is he going to know if nobody tells him? Well, that's the point. Millie Weaver was down there. She was trying to get it out. And everybody wants to be first to fix this. And it's so stupid. It's like, Stop. We're all supposed to be fixing this. Your way isn't the only way. This way isn't the only way. We all need to unite and work together. Here's the information. Now run with it. Because I'm not capable of doing it. Guys, could you imagine me in that Senate hearing? I would be taking my shoe off and throwing it across the room to Krebs. I'd be like, are you serious? Can you look at me in the face and tell me that it was all fine when your stupid SISA agents were sitting on Zoom call so organizing federal coups? Are you kidding? Or when, you know, what's his name? <laughs> Carper sat there. He had like a bout of full of crapitis and, uh, you know, dementia, just like Joe. It's been going around lately. These are the things. I can't handle that. I'm not the person equipped for that. But we, the people uh, together, can handle that. Why don't, we, why don't we, the people, get hurt? Why don't we use what they left to destroy President Trump? Think about it. He gets reelected because he overcame their ability to steal the election, right? He does this. He gets sworn in. And before even the state of the union is going to happen, they've already started impeachment and it's open close. It's his fault. Your EAC, you didn't fund them on purpose to let the Russians in. Tell me how quick they would have impeached them. There would be no leg to stand on. He'd be gone in a heartbeat, in a freaking heartbeat, in a freaking heartbeat. And not one of these idiots in the Senate or Congress didn't get Rand Paul got the stuff. I mean, look. We had the hearing, which was a sham anyway. It was a complete sham anyway. So what I did was I made it public record. So that way, if we overcome it with some other avenue, because other people want to use alternate avenues and focus on one thing, when you want to solve a problem, what do you do? You look at it from the moon. You look at all the perspectives and you regroup and you attack simultaneously on all fronts. That is how a very good operation happens. I mean, now we have software like the shadow net that does it for us and it attacks on all levels. Well, we can do that too. Why not attack this problem? We've got USPS, we've got fake ballots, we've got printing of ballots, we've got software discrepancies, we've got certification discrepancies, we've got this. Why can't we just all throw it in there? Why do we have to focus like we're wearing blinders? Every, we have to be like the phalanx. 
And the only entrance they have is that through a fucking barrage of human beings that say no more. That's how it gets fixed. But it's like they don't want it to get fixed. Like Mitch McCain's got some explaining to do. All of these Republicans have explaining to do. So considering that my message has been received appropriately and I felt more at peace last week because all I saw was Ratcliffe laying out the whole story of how electronic components provide access to the Chinese and foreign in- and entities which interfere with any facet of our nation. Therefore, I am holding on in two days to see that report because the COTS software is that window. And we know they got in. How do we know? Because you explained to me how we had a repeat of what happened in Ukraine. I think, I believe in my humble opinion, the fact that they went after Rudy Giuliani so, so hard And the fact that he terrified them is that he was going to find out where it goes. And like I told you guys a long, long time ago, what was on that DNC drive, what was on Hillary Clinton's server was nothing more than the plan of how they deploy these scripts, how many individuals they put together to cover what states and who was really running point. But we all know it was Owen. Owen created Barack Hussein Obama. He groomed him. He groomed him. Groomed him as senator. He came out of nowhere like a fart that was unexpected at a table. He just pops up and he's a senator in Illinois. Suddenly, he's the president of the United States. So what we are going to see is the most insane status of a nation. And you know, many people have realized that there are no people that will stick up for you. That there are no news channels that will do it. They will bend the knee, but we do not. They will yield, but we will not. Because we didn't yield, bend the knee, run away, or bow our heads back in 1776. I'm pretty sure in 2020, we're not doing that either. The one thing we share is a flag. And the one common quality we share as Americans is being rebels. And so the crown can take it and stick it. Just saying. Because they're not going to win this. They're not taking this. They're not stealing this. And we're going to use their trap and smack them in the face with it and use it to our advantage. This is how you take something that was intended for evil and turn it into good. The booby trap they had for him, for an open, closed, shut impeachment. It would have been the quickest impeachment in history, you guys. It's the law. It's a congressional act. It is a dereliction of duty. They would have had him done in like a week. It would have been, there would be no hearing in the Senate. They would have just said, you're gone, Trump. Bye-bye. That's like bon voyage, Donald J. Trump. That's what they would have said. That's exactly what they would have said. Days after he swore in. Days after. Hence why I never said anything. Hence why it wasn't brought up. And that's it. And I'm going to tell you something. Every single person out there, lawyers, personas, social personalities, whatever, senators, congressmen, 
elected officials, appointed staffers, you name it. All they want to do is be the first to give it. And it's like, shut up. This is supposed to be a collective effort. Nobody needs a name. You know who gets the credit? Our president does because he's the one that's fixing it. Not you, sir, whatever. Not you, madame, so-and-so. It's the president of the United States and the people of the United States. And we're going to take that trap and we're going to rub it in your face and then we're going to laugh about it. And one day I'm going to see my president say, hey, Pelosi, why are you down here at the Capitol? You don't have a job. You were never really elected. (laughs) Hey, Shiv, remember that fake impeachment? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking with my new attorney general, maybe I should... uh, Let's see, since you knew about the EAC and there's documentation in your emails with Senator Wyden that you knew about the EAC lacking the certification and discussing the equipment holes, um, I think maybe I should charge you with waste, fraud, and abuse. That cost me a lot of money, you know? My people, all these taxpayers paid so much money. Wait a minute. Hey, you too. You spent $40 million on a fake impeachment. Come over here. Let's talk. Because you're going to jail. You stole money from the people with fraud, waste, and abuse. That's the way it is. You call it what it is. I want to see those tweets. First ones that I want to see is that Christy McCormick, Patricia Layfield, Donald Hoverson, and that Donald Hoverson, and that weird, wait, is it Donald Palmer? And that weird special, I mean, if you look him up, EAC Hoverson, right? He looks freaking special, like short bus special, like super short bus special. And I'm like, how is this guy doing anything? So here's another thing. Did you know that SLI compliance that inspects our machinery is actually part of Gaming Solutions, uh, Gaming Laboratories International, GLI, which has huge offices in China. Actually, they're advertising for systems coordinators there. And they do lotteries and oh, lotteries, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. Lotteries? Are they legit or are they fixed? Obviously, they're fixed. They've got algorithms, right? Electronic software machines, lottery machines, both have algorithms. Are you catching my drift? Because that's going to come later. That should be coming in 2021. Are you catching my drift? Because why would GLI, which is a gaming company, own SLI as one of their sister companies, right? Mm -hmm. Child parent company, child company. But why would GLI in other countries execute elections when they're, I don't know, running lotteries? Kind of sounds fixed to me. Kind of sounds like some interesting stuff that should be coming out. See, this is what we need to be paying attention to. I mean, in the end, what are we going to have? Intralot, the other competing gaming lottery algorithm thing that's going to be running our elections. So we're going to be running on the same shit casinos do, right? The fix is in. We all know casinos fix is in, right? Nothing's fair, right? So we have casino companies inspecting our machines. I mean, I'm. this is just a train of thought. Think about it. How messed up is that? I mean, you could, you could look at it yourself. You could look it up. GLI, Gaming Laboratories International. They've got massive offices in China. And let me tell you something. I told you that I could log on up until Millie's report. I was able to log on to my um, old company's website and just look at anything I wanted, anything I wanted. I had a username and password, so it wasn't legal. Um, You know, clearances weren't needed. It's a private company. So I had access to everything. I could look up your license plate, your criminal records, 
your private records, your phone calls, your e- anything I wanted to, I had access to anything, right? I respected privacy. And obviously I kept my queries low so that my, my, my account wouldn't be flagged as a frequenter, even though it was one of the first basic admin accounts and they'd never see it. It's like that admin account you get on your computer when, you know, the computer company ships it off to you. There's usually like admin, admin, right? It's a, it, I had an account like that. So it's not like they would, but you never know, right? So I had access to all of these systems, the DOJ, DHS, uh, USCIS, whatever I wanted, I could access if I wanted to. Same thing with this company. So if you're a Chinese national that works for the military, right, for the Chinese military, and you get a job at GLI at one of their offices there, can you access the whole network? Of course you can, right? And the more senior you are, the more access you have, right? So if you have more access and more senior, you can access every single corner of the company, right? So then you can also see everything you need to see about our election machines. You see where I'm going with this? See, the Philippines were really, really bitchy about it. In the Philippines, their elections have been fixed for forever and a day. I mean, you saw that email from 2010 after Haiti, how they were like, maybe Bill Clinton can help us. And they were like, no, we just suggest you use Smartmatic. It was very effective in elections. And we did it in the Philippines, too. So the Philippines did it again. And they had Smartmatic. But because their people were like, yo, man, you know, it's Smartmatic. It's George Soros. I don't feel comfortable with the Chinese having access because all the machines are being made in China. We don't feel comfortable. So guess what SLI convinced Smartmatic to do? Why don't you just move the um, building of the equipment in Taiwan? (laughs) Because that's going to (laughs) help. That's totally going to help. Right? You see what I'm saying? You see what I mean? Oh, we're just going to move it from China to Taiwan. Here's the bigger picture. The untold part. And this is where I'll end it for today. You know how Hong Kong is country that's independent, but China owns it kind of thing, right? What if I told you the United States is the same, only it's more fabricated? How would you feel to know that your nation is owned by another nation and you are independent, but they drive the car? How would you feel? You'd be upset. You'd be very upset. Remember, they have a clock. And they celebrate our debt. I just wanted to make that statement to give you that perspective. Because what we lack from our media is perspective. What we lack from our media is education. All they do is dictate to us reports. I mean, all of them bend the knee already to what? Joe Biden is president-elect. How dare you? You just betray the people. No one's going to look back to you. You want people to fund you to buy the products that you advertise? No, no, we're not. You could take that and put it where you need to because no one's going to do that. So this is how terrible our situation is. But what's also awesome is that we found their trap. So it's going to be a little bit difficult for them to pull one over, especially when it's been deposited at the Supreme Court for all states. It's not going to be very easy for them to overlook it. You know, bottom line is we are the thunder and they can't stand it because the people have now spoken. On that note, guys, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. God bless. (laughs) 